The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I'm a three-time, 20-year breast cancer survivor. I'm also a professional speaker and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. Hi, and I'm Sharon Hennepin. I'm a 22-year survivor. I'm also a certified life coach and the author of my upcoming book, Thriving Beyond Cancer. We're also the co-founders of Breast Friends. And today we have two wonderful guests with us. We have April Brenneman and Dr. Elizabeth Lati. And Elizabeth, am I saying that right? You are absolutely right. Thank Lottie. you. I meant to ask you that before we went live on the air. <laughs> <laughs> and both ladies are writers and they work together on a project very dear to both of them. And it's called Narrative Medicine. And I, honestly, I can't wait to hear more about that. Welcome, April and Dr. Lati. Happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you. April, let's start with you, okay, because I know you have a really compelling story, and I would love to have you introduce yourself to the audience and tell us that story, if you don't mind. Sure, I'd love to. So, um, as you said, I am a writer, um, but mostly I've been a mom for most of my life, raising my five kids. Um, Four of them are adults, and I have one at home now who's a high schooler. Um, And my narrative medicine story started in 2004 when my son was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma. He was four years old, and the tumor was in his uh, C6 neck vertebra. Mm. And so we went through um, a really rough year of treatment where he had um, 14 rounds of chemotherapy. Um, Mm. He received 31 proton radiation treatments. And once we finished treatment, then we began to notice the damage that was done um, by the radiation and the treatments. And so we went into a second and third year of working around, figuring out how to help him to breathe. So the radiation had damaged his airway um, and his throat and his thyroid. Mm. So he ended up being um, given a tracheotomy, which is a hole in the neck so that he could breathe. we put a G-tube in, which is a tube into his stomach, so that we could feed him. He was unable to eat by mouth. And then oh my between gosh. those two years, we went through 38 procedures, which are called, um, well, we call them throat stretches. And so he would hmm. go in every six weeks and be sedated um, and have his uh, throat stretched um, so that hopefully he could get to the point of eating by mouth. I can't so, even imagine what that, that was like. That sounds awful, April. Yeah. Oh my gosh! So oh, what is yeah, it? What is throat stretching? Do you mind? Can you share what that means? I, I mean, I, I, mean, I guess I know what the outcome is, but how do they do that? Is that well? They, sounds painful. Um, 
They put him, they give him the sedation medicine, and then they uh, stick an endoscope down into his throat, and mm-hmm. they're going right to the point where the radiation scarred his throat. And oh, then they blow okay. up a little balloon that's on the end of the uh, scope, and what that does is stretch it and try to break down that scar tissue. Oh, so the scar oh. tissue, it actually kind of adhered itself to... Mm-hmm. Make yeah. it, oh, my gosh. Oh, you know, wow, as a mom, that must have been horrible for you to to experience. I mean, I can't even imagine. Yeah, can't Anything imagine. happens to our kids, it's just, it's so hard to accept. Oh. I mean, and they're such troopers most of the time, you know, it's like, oh, no. <laughs> So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt with all that, but carry on, please. That's okay. I was just going to say, yes, there is is nothing like watching your child suffer. I mean, it's a very Mm. horrible, helpless feeling, and or anyone that we love, you know, when there's nothing we can really do. So that is, it it was very, very difficult. And through the years, um, you know, he's 12 years past chemotherapy this last August. Um, And through the years, he's continued to deal with ongoing medical issues. Um, He struggles with chronic pain. Um, He's growth hormone deficient. And uh, he's had anxiety issues. And he's physically limited on activities um, because of his neck being radiated. So, yeah, it's been a long journey. But he's 16. Mm -hmm. He's in high school. He's driving. Mm -hmm. uh, mom's worst nightmare (laughs) (laughs) healthy or not (laughs) and no evidence of disease so we're very very oh that's that's the news we wanted to hear that's wonderful oh my gosh well I know you went through uh, an amazing process through all of this you know through during his treatment and you know and after your son's treatment how did how did you process all this through writing So, you know, as a child, I used to write all the time, and I had gotten away from that practice. But when my son was diagnosed, I started, of course, the Caring Bridge um, blog, which was to disseminate, you know, medical information about what was happening to our son so that Mm -hmm. all of our friends and family and support system could um, understand what was going on. And then I started just writing for myself that kind of merged into trying to process and figure out and even understand what was happening to my emotions and on this journey and how it was impacting my children and my husband and I. And, um, and then eventually down the road, I began about nine years after his treatment, I started painting on his x-rays. Um, what? And, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you oh. took his x-rays and you just kind of got artistic over the top of him. That's yeah, amazing. I was in, excuse me, I'm sorry. I was, I was inspired by a woman that I saw in Venice at an art show who didn't start doing any kind of art until she was in her 50s, and she was struggling with depression and menopause. And I thought, oh, well, that kind of fits the bill for me. <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> I opened my kitchen drawer, and there were all these stacks of x-rays, and I pulled them out and just began playing around with them. Cool. Oh, I just got goosebumps. That is so cool. <laughs> wow. You have to see them. Are you, are you doing anything with them, or is it just for your own satisfaction? Yes, it was for my own satisfaction, but then a friend of mine who saw them said she wanted me to have a little art show. So she set up a little art show in Portland at a coffee shop, 
Um, and I just invited family and friends, and one of my daughters sang and played, you know, sang songs and played her guitar, and Aww. another friend joined her, and we had food, and they were hanging and displayed, and it was just very empowering to see people come in and look at my art and make comments, um, and it was open to the public, too, so even strangers uh, saw, you know, looked me up wow. and talked to me about it, and so that was just a really powerful evening and one of my um, very dear friends who lost her son, her only son, child, her only child, to the same cancer, she bravely came to the show. Oh, and wow. Mm. she looked at all of the art, and she just told me later, you know, this is called narrative medicine. And I'd never huh. heard of mar- narrative medicine, and so I went home and I Googled it. Of course, that's what we do. <laughs> we Google everything. Yeah, that's what yeah. we do. <laughs> And then that's how I found Elizabeth up at OHSU, and I, I contacted her. Oh, good. Well, I have, a, I have a question about the art. What did your son, when he saw it, what, did, what was his response to that? Well, I asked him permission first, and he mm-hmm. said it was okay. And then when it came time you know, for the art show, I asked him permission as well if he was okay with that. And he was very um, fine with it. Uh, my son is like an entrepreneur. And so he wondered where he could get money from it. (laughs) Well, I think that is just that is just an amazing um, story. I I love that. And I know that you know. Again, you said you started with journaling, and then you've it's kind of evolved. But can you talk a little bit more about the writing aspect? Because you know we have a lot of people that listen to our show who, you know, we encourage them to write their story and journal. Was writing really important to you during that time, and, and, and in what way? How did it help you, do you think? Well, it helped, um, well, it, it just helped me to process what was happening, so I'd be really emotionally struggling with something, mm-hmm. um, a feeling, an intense emotion, um, maybe it was playing over and over in my mind a situation, an interaction with a doctor, or something that mm-hmm. had happened with okay. my son, and so um, writing um, became a way of just releasing that out of my brain and onto paper, if that kind of makes sense. It makes um, perfect sense, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then it helped me just to kind of document it as well. It was a way, a way of documenting what has transpired, what my emotions have been, um, and trying to come to terms with it. Um, and I, I really believe that writing has helped me to become more self-aware, Mm-hmm. And that makes um, sense. one of my struggles, of course, for me was my spiritual views. They were totally challenged by the diagnosis of cancer. I can son. certainly understand that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's tough. But, you know, it kind of it, what you're sharing here makes perfect sense to me. I've never really considered myself much of a journaler, not really. Um, but I do, when I have a stressful situation in my life, <laughs> I have a file on my desktop that says, letters never to be sent. <laughs> and in that file, you know, you kind of sit down and you, you write a letter to that person that you're struggling with, and you write out those things that are really eating at you and the things, the conversations and the stress points. And, and then there's just, just this kind of magical thing that happens. You know, you can really start to feel and appreciate your part in it and, um, you know, and, and it gets it, like you said, out of your head and out of your heart and onto paper where it can just kind of either be torn up and tossed or 
you know, whatever, store it away. But um, it's out of it's out of you you at that point, which is really helpful. So I, I totally agree with what you're saying there. So, so it yeah, fester. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Right>? exactly. <laughs> you don't want it to fester. Exactly. So Sharon, I think you had some some questions oh, for Dr. Lati. Dr. Lati, I was just, I really want to know more about narrative medicine. And I know you're the director of of narrative medicine up at OHSU. So kind of give us a a little bit of history and a little bit of information about what really narrative medicine is for us. Sure. Um, So narrative medicine, um, I think the the term was actually uh, developed by uh, Dr. Rita Sharon, who is... um, a professor of medicine at Columbia University in New York. And the way she tells the story is um, she was in medical school and really wanted to, to, to be able to listen to her patient's stories in, in, a, in a more meaningful way. And um, so her way of doing it, which I uh, think is an incredible way, is she said she walked across the street to the English department and got a PhD in English literature to, to, to better understand how stories are told and how to listen to stories. And then she really merged this idea of, um, of writing, um, you know, listening, telling um, uh, into the practice of medicine. So, so what narrative medicine is is really a framework, and it's, mm-hmm. it's a framework through which all medicine can be practiced. So you don't go to... You don't go to school to become a doctor of narrative medicine. You, you know, you train to be whatever you're going to be, an internist or an orthopedic surgeon or a nurse practitioner. Um, and then you apply this framework uh, that uses narrative competence in a healthcare setting. And, and so narrative competence is really kind of this, this ability to listen um, to absorb and then uh, to be moved to action by the stories of um, of health and illness, and I think that's the key. Really, is that is that by listening to these stories that you're in action um, in order to to benefit the patient. So by listening closely and being really attentive to you know the human beings that are in front of us. Um, we as healthcare providers can offer more personalized and um, and collaborative care. So that's 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 a that's sort of the brief elevator speech. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so and how did you get into it? So I got into narrative medicine, um, much like April. I was one of those kids who was always like keeping a journal and writing, and um, I also have that file of letters. <laughs> to be sent. Um, so, so I always, I always enjoyed Glad the I'm writing process. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, I studied Spanish and English literature in college, never really had any intention of becoming a physician until after I graduated from, um, from undergrad. Um, I, I, I briefly taught high school um, before going to medical school kind of later in my 20s. And you know, throughout that that whole time, I was very uh, avid reader and writer and kind of a humanities person. And um, in medical school, I was um, I was completely overwhelmed with the amount and the intensity of the material that I was learning. And so, a, a lot of my my writing and fiction reading really kind of fell by the wayside. And um, and it wasn't until I had finished residency and was out practicing 
in uh, in a local hospital here in Portland that I that I refound my writing voice, and um, I think one of the reasons that I that I started writing. Um, was was often related to work. I would um, I would care for um, a patient um, who um, you know was really was kind of overwhelming to me um, beyond the medical realm. It was more like, well, gosh, how do I fit what's happening to this patient and my interaction with him or her um, into just kind of the context of of my own life? Um, I recently wrote a blog about one particular Thanksgiving that I was working and, um, you know, working on Thanksgiving is, is actually really kind of a nice, it's, it's quiet in the hospital, people bring food and there's a lot of camaraderie. And on this particular Thanksgiving day, um, I had three patients who died and they weren't, wow. they weren't, you know, un, you know, like shocking unplanned deaths. These were people who were reaching the end of their lives and they were surrounded by, you know, by family and people who love them, but I just went from one room to the next and and I was really kind of just overwhelmed by what you know just this experience and so I started writing um, to make sense of the experiences that I was having um, as a as a physician um, and so um, so through doing that kind of writing either just you know, reflections, um, but then also writing fiction and trying to get into the, to the minds and of the patients and the families and the other people around me. Um, I really had this moment of like, wow, I'm, I'm starting to think from other people's perspectives. And I felt like that was making me a, a better, a better doctor. Um, and so then the real aha moment for me in terms of, of narrative medicine, I didn't know that, that this was even a thing. Um, I got a call from my sister who was in a master's program in New York and she said, you know, I just went to this most amazing workshop and you have to come to New York to check this out. And so that was my first introduction to Rita Sharon and um, her colleagues at Columbia. And, um, and when, I, when I walked into that first workshop um, and I met Rita and, and these other people who are, who are doing this work, um, and then the other, the other attendees of the conference, um, I realized that there was already this incredible momentum um, around developing these narrative skills to, um, to essentially be a better doctor. And so on my way home um, from that first conference, um, I just was on the plane and I just wrote out what I imagined, a, you know, a fourth-year medical student elective, what it would look like if we did something in narrative medicine. And, um, and, I, and I really just set my sights on making this a part of my career. And, and I was really, really lucky <laughs> to find OHSU willing to, um, to engage in this and to be yeah. really on, um, you know, on the forefront of getting it um, embedded into um, medical student education. So it's, it's been great. Lovely. We're going to take a short break, but we'll pick this up again on the other side because I'm thinking there might still be a couple more things to say about it. But before we go, you know, one of the things we've done on this show is we've talked a lot about palliative care and how important it is as part of the patient's total care package. And did you know that Regents Health Plans offers the most comprehensive palliative care benefits, providing an added layer of support when you and your family need it most? So stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about the benefits of narrative medicine with our guests, April Brenneman and Dr. Elizabeth Leite. So um, I think if I remember correctly, April, you attended the same workshop that uh, Dr. Leite was talking about? Yes, I did. I didn't attend at the same time as Dr. Lottie, but I, when I had contacted her at OHSU, she um, really encouraged me to attend to try to understand more what narrative medicine was all about. And so I, I went to New York, and I went to this weekend conference, and um, it's not always like this, but at the time that I went, I was the only uh, caregiver or layperson or non-healthcare professional. And at first, I thought that would be quite intimidating, um, but everybody, the thing that I came away with from it with was that everybody was so welcoming. There was not a feeling of hierarchy, you know, that a physician or someone with a PhD was above um, me, who is a layperson, um, and I, and when we broke into small, um, intimate groups to write, uh, to write to prompts, and to discuss uh, poetry and all of that, it was just very welcoming, and it, um, I had some really amazing insights into myself and discovered some things about myself that I didn't know. And when I came home, I was all excited, um, oh, and then that's I contacted. Yes, and then I called Elizabeth again, and I said, let's put a conference on in, in the Northwest. <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so cool. That's great. You know, it's funny how things can start so, you know, something small and turn it into something big. So good for you guys for doing that. So, Dr. Lati, um, 
What is Full Frontal Writing Collective? That is obviously a very provocative. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Tell me about that. So the Full Frontal Writing Collective is really, it's, it's a weekly writing group. Um, there are six of us. Um, we, I don't even remember where the name came from. I do remember that at one point we tried to come up with a different name and we just couldn't because um, for us it's, it's a place where we can go and we can be, um, you know, <laughs> metaphorically just naked in our writing and our, and our sharing of what we're doing. And so it's, it's a group of people. <laughs> There's six of us. There's no, no other health professionals. You know, it's, it's different genders, different walks of life. We all have different jobs and different commitments outside of our Wednesday nights. But, but every Wednesday we meet um, at the same place and we do, um, we write together and then we also workshop each other's writing. Um, you know, there's, there's poets in the group, novelists, short story writers, and, um, and essentially we just, we just support each other in our endeavors and encourage each other. And, um, and for me, it's really one of the only places that I feel like a writer. You know, I, I may not have, mm-hmm. have <laughs> written the great American novel, but, but I write. And when I'm there, I write with these amazing people who, um, whose skills and practice kind of rub off on me. And so it, that's, that's it's amazing. outside yes. of work, but, um, but it kind of makes me, I think, makes me a better person. That's fabulous. I love that. So I'm, I'm really enjoying this topic, um, but I'm not really seeing the difference between journaling and, and narrative medicine. Can, can you tell me the difference and how, do that, how does that work? Sure. Um, you know, I think um, I, people have asked me before, is, is narrative medicine just writing in a journal? And, and really the, the short answer is just no, it's not. It's, it's very different. Um, okay. Although journaling can be kind of the beginning or a door into developing narrative competence. But, um, but I, I really believe that one of the key elements for developing the skills of narrative competence and practicing narrative medicine um, really starts with reflecting in the presence of others. So, so when you write and you reflect with others, you're, you're not only able to recognize your own story, um, but you're also able to listen to the stories of others with the intent of being changed by what you hear. So, mm. um, so it's really not done in a vacuum. It's, um, narr- narrative medicine is about finding and nurturing um, the human connection that, that many of us went into medicine mm. for to begin with. Um, and, and we can't forget that um, I think ultimately while reflecting on our own purposes and strengthening the meaning we find in work is great, Ultimately, it's about being more present for the patient and listening more closely to the patient's story um, to provide more meaningful care for that individual who's sitting across from you. You know, that makes, that, sense, that makes yeah. perfect sense. You know, one of the one of the um, situations, you know, as you heard, I'm a three time survivor, and on my second yeah. diagnosis, when I when I was given my second diagnosis, I had a physician who is very knowledgeable. She's wonderful. She knows so much about, you know, the practice of, of medicine and how to treat cancer. But when I was, when I was working with her, she really didn't get to know me as a person at all. Mm -hmm. And so 
when I started crying, she didn't realize I was crying. And when she finally did, she assumed I was crying over the fact that I had cancer again. And the funny mm-hmm. thing is, I was not. I was crying over the fact that I'd been invited to speak at a Komen luncheon, and I was afraid they were going to find out and then cancel me. And I was really oh, upset. Wow. I didn't. I didn't want to be too sick to be you know, to do it. So I needed to plan my chemo around all of that because this was a big thing for me. And when she finally looked at me and realized why I was crying because I had to tell her, she said, oh, you shouldn't even be thinking about doing that. And I said, you don't know me very well. (laughs) These are the things I look for. And so like you said, getting to know your your patient and, and so I ended up switching doctors and when I told him what I needed to do he said I will have you as strong as possible if I've got to pump you full of vitamins myself and, yeah, and I was I, able yeah. I was able to do that that speech and it you know it really made my world but a lot of times people are so focused on the illness and mm-hmm. just how to treat the illness they don't think about the patient and what they need in the process. So I'm loving this conversation. So, you know, you talked a, a bit about reflection and why is it important? So why, why is it? I mean, is there more that you can share with that about the physician and the professionals, why they need to really get tuned into this? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think reflection is important for, for a couple of reasons. Um, and I think one of them is, is kind of personal wellness and resilience. And then the other is, is professional development. So I think if, if you think about starting with, with a student, you know, kind of going all the way through student, resident, and, you know, on to faculty and, and practicing physician, um, I think when students enter medical school, they've made a huge commitment to this profession that um, that I think often seems like one thing from the outside and turns out to be quite another from the inside. And mm-hmm. as students go from, um, from lay people to fully trained um, physicians, their professional identities are forming, and those identities don't really form in a vacuum. Um, they're constantly going back and forth between um, their expectations um, coming into school, then their own experiences, and then the experience of their peers um, and of those who are kind of ahead of them in the process. And I think that reflecting on the key moments, um, those that both reaffirm their purpose um, of being there and then also those that challenge their purpose um, really allows students to have intention um, on on where they're going in the future. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that as that student progresses from um, from student to intern to resident, you know, and beyond, it's really important to reflect um, throughout the career and, um, and, you know, to inform practice and also, and also to change practice. Um, I think there's, this, there's a lot of, um, of buzz around this, you know, lifelong learning that, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, not, it's really not just a catchy phrase. I think it's when you think about lifelong learning, it's really how do we look at you know, what the experiences we have, um, how those experiences influence what we do, um, what we do in the future. You know, one of the things a lot of people may not realize we're, you know, this is a national, actually a global program, and you work with at OHSU, which is Oregon Health Sciences University, and it is a teaching hospital, which is wonderful that you are introducing this to the, as you said, the students at that level before they get their habits and, you know, develop their pattern of how they're going to do things to have this become part of 
of what they're learning. And can you speak yeah, to that? Absolutely. And I think I think also, you know, I, I don't just teach medical students. I also teach an interprofessional course with um, with Dr. Marty Driesneck, who's a nurse practitioner at OHSU in the School of Nursing. And and that course is open to all students, all health professional students. And okay. one of the things that has come out of that class is the student saying, okay, well, what next? You know, now we, we know all of this, but we go back to our clinics and our wards and, you know, some of our mentors, they, they don't know about this. And so that's led um, Marty and I to, um, to do um, some work around faculty development. And we recently got a grant to train faculty members in, um, in narrative competence so that they are then able to um, integrate the, these practices with, with the students who are coming up knowing about it. Well, and you mentioned, too, those three people that you lost in a very short amount of time. Um, I know with the work that Breast Friends does with patients, unfortunately, we we lose people as well. And Mm -hmm. um, from from our perspective, I can see using narrative medicine with like compassion fatigue. Is have you used it in that way? Absolutely. I mean, we so I I do narrative medicine workshops with um, with third year medical students. Um, we call them reflection rounds, which is a little bit different. But um, but those so third year medical students, it's the first time that they are um, on the wards, actively taking care of patients. They're really out of the classroom and into the trenches, so to speak, and they are confronted with things that they've never seen before. Oftentimes they are, um, you know, they're, they're with somebody as they're dying or they're counseling, you know, patients' families or, or like, you know, my example of just losing so many patients in a day or um, having a traumatic code or something mm-hmm. like that. And these reflection sessions are opportunities for the students to reflect on what's happening um, mm. to them and to their patients um, in, in a clinical setting. And, and, and a lot that's of times, um, you know, compassion fatigue does, it comes up, and that's something that, that people talk about and reflect on often. That's interesting, yeah. yeah. And it sounds like in a, in a conversation, like when a patient is talking with their doctor and the doctor is trying to practice, you know, narrative medicine, it's not just about one person are you know talking back and forth? It's really about listening too, and what and what are you listening for? Can you exactly speak to that a bit? Yeah, and I'd say one thing I do with when I'm on um, the wards with um, with students and residents is, you know, we'll all go in and see a patient, and then we'll walk out of the room, and I'll ask them to write five things they know about the patient that are not necessarily oh. medical, oh, and so the things that I write versus the things that a new medical student. We all write different things when we walk out of that room, and I think that what that what that does for everybody taking care of the patient is it shows that we each bring our own stories to the encounter, and we both hear we all hear different things from the same encounter, and that really the richness of taking care of patients in a collaborative setting is the richness of really understanding and valuing everybody's story um, in, um, in, in the, the intent of, of providing the best medical care for the patient. 
You know, and what you're talking about people, you know, hearing different things, you know, (laughs) talk to our kids. Mom says yes. No, mom said no. (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) (laughs) Happens in real life, too. Exactly. In in my experience with my son, his his primary um, oncologist, who was excellent, by the way, but he was very, very academic. And um, my son was an interesting case is how he was looked at, you know, looked at by this physician. Um, instead of a little boy that um, mm-hmm. loved hot dogs and fire trucks and, um, yeah. you know, oh, and yeah, so that definitely. was very difficult for me. And I, I do remember um, carving out some time to just sit with this oncologist and try to express my heart in that area. And he just did not, he just did not hear me. Um, mm-hmm. And then can, I compared that to another oncologist that um, we went to see out of state. And his first response was, um, if this was my was my son, what would I do? And he talked a lot about listening to the mothers. And he um, told his resident that was working with him, always listen to the mamas because the mamas have insight. And so <laughs> that was just, you know, the difference between those two was very striking to me. It makes sense. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. And that, that just that gift of compassion that that second doctor was able to give you. And they're both wonderful doctors. Yeah. But again, it sometimes one may not be a great match for for us if we need that extra compassion, yeah. especially with little children. That would make sense. Yeah, and I think that one of my goals is why do we have to have one or the other? Why can't we have both? You know, the the physician who is um, who is both you know academic and top of the field, and at the same time has those skills to be able to listen um, intentionally and generously uh, to the to the patients and families uh, in front of them. You know, I'm loving this conversation. One of the things that that Sharon and I, you know, do as part of Breast Friends is we speak on compassionate care and what does it look like. And, you know, April, with your experience that you had, you know, with your son and my experience with my doctor not recognizing what mattered to me, it's, you know, it's important because they, you know, I think they could do such a better job. And when we come back, we actually do have to go out for break. So when we come back, I would really like to pick up that conversation is how does this help um, the physicians and health, you know, healthcare professionals be better at their jobs. So let's pick that up on the other side. So hang with us. We'll be back in just a, a couple of minutes. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. the last time you felt free. It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regents Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. 
Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Hi, welcome back. We've been talking about the benefits of narrative medicines with our guests, April Brenneman and uh, Dr. Elizabeth Lottie. So let's just kind of start where we were, uh, where we left off, because that was fascinating, um, talking about um, how this really makes a difference with the physician. So tell me a little bit more about that. So I think, I think that practicing narrative medicine um, helps physicians and healthcare professionals be better providers um, and by, by kind of being better human beings. I think ultimately that connecting with others, whether it's with your patients or students or colleagues, um, that find meaning in their work. And um, when, when healthcare professionals find meaning in their, in their days and their weeks, then they're better doctors and nurses and pharmacists and social workers. Um, and I think sense. that without finding meaning in one's work that, um, that, that you, it leads to burnout. And then once a provider is burned out, there's, there's medical errors, there's substance abuse, there's suicide. I think, you know, medical students and physicians have a much higher rate of suicide than the general population. And, and I believe that narrative medicine and finding these connections with, with others at work leads to resilience and wellness and and there have been there have been studies that show that well and resilient physicians provide better paid care. Yeah, yeah I believe that. That totally makes sense yeah, here. It really does. It really does. So it looks like this this uh, movement is is moving across the country. Is that is that fair to say that cuz I I sure hope it is cuz it sounds great. Yeah, but absolutely. I, I would it, say it's it's moving it's moving across uh, you know, throughout our country and then also internationally. There's a big movement. So how is, how is that happening? I think, uh, I think the healthcare providers and the healthcare system, even as patients who are seeing how challenging the work is, how challenging it is to be in that system in our modern world and with the technology and time constraints and, um, you know, the sterile, it can be sterile, non-personal interactions. And so I think we're seeing that need that narrative medicine helps us with, um, you know, it allows us a space for reflection and on both sides, the patient and the, and the healthcare provider side, um, for reflection and noticing and acknowledging our emotions and, and being able to just connect as human beings. Absolutely. So and then patients taught, can do that too. Mm-hmm. Is this being taught then at national conventions and things, you know, medical conferences? 
Um, yes, as far as I know, it is. I know that Columbia um, has the big workshop. They also offer a master's degree now um, wow, in really? wow. narrative medicine. And um, yes, there are conferences in Europe and internationally. So it is um, a collective movement that is gaining um, speed and popularity and um, interest. And mm-hmm. I find it interesting on the patient side um, as because it is a way for for patients to you know deal with their side of of the journey and um, it's kind of interesting because it's like bridging the gap between between the patient and the family and the caregiver and between the healthcare professional and anything right. that we can do to bridge that gap and and bring people together on a human to human level is really important. Oh, absolutely. So, April, what skills have you developed through practicing this listening, writing, creating kind of concept um, around narrative medicine? You know, I've learned that listening, really generously listening is hard to do. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's a skill that you, that we're always, that I'm always working on. Um, It's, it's, Mm -hmm. I believe that it's a, a privilege and an honor to listen to another human being, to hear their story, to hold space for them, to be present for them. Um, all, all of this practicing of writing and creating and listening has taught me to see situations and experiences through other people's perspectives, which is huge. Yes. And to understand that as humans, we're all contradictory. All of us, mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. we just are, and that's okay. And then how our stories can shape us. Um, and help to create the people that we've become or the stories that we tell ourselves that might not necessarily be true. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I practice my writing now. I, I couple it with uh, contemplative prayer. And, and what that's done is it, it's helped me to slow down and um, it allows me to be able to hear my inner self, to, to be more aware, more present, um, mm-hmm. letting go. And then another thing mm, that's, that's really important for me is just to be able to hold the tension of life. Um, mm-hmm. For example, mm. um, we just recently lost a 15-year-old young man who is in the Ewing sarcoma community here locally. Um, he was an incredible, mm. remarkable young man. Um, and as he was, I, I got the word that he was saying goodbye to his family um, and at the same uh-huh. time, that same time, my son was out on his first date as a six. Oh my oh, gosh! Oh my! <gasps> oh, so that must have, have hit kind of close. Yeah, you have these emotions, mm-hmm. this intense mm-hmm. sorrow and grief for the loss of this wonderful young man, and for his mother and his father and his sister. And then on the mm-hmm. other hand, this joy that my son is surviving and even with having a tracheotomy, which is something that you can see and notice on him, he's out on his first date with a beautiful young woman. Um, Isn't that great? Oh, that gives me goosebumps. (laughs) Yeah. But again, I'm sure there's still things that you as a mom have to grieve through too, you know, that because he hasn't been able to do some of the things that he probably would have liked, maybe athletics or, you know, things like that, where he might have been a little bit too fragile to be able to do some of those things. Is that true to say? I have found that over the last 12 years um, that the loss comes up over and over again. And it usually um, comes with milestones. Um, and, but, you know, just grieving the loss of his childhood. He did not have a normal childhood. 
Um, right. He didn't, you know, he, the loss of innocence. Um, the other mm. loss that we've experienced is just the impact on our entire family. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. So he has four older sisters, and our family culture completely changed, you know, the moment he was diagnosed. And mm-hmm. not that we're, you know, in some ways we're stronger and better, but also we, we just lost a lot. Um, our mm-hmm. oldest yeah. daughter was looking for colleges when he was diagnosed, and she ended up having to um, apply for scholarships and go college hunting and all of that all on her own. Um, oh, ouch, she, yeah. Yeah, she did yeah. have some other mothers come beside her, but there was no way I, we could join in. Um, right, right. So that, uh, that can be tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, before we run out of time I'm on our show, because I can't believe how fast this hour is going, we would love to have you guys tell us about the conference. And Elizabeth, Dr. Lottie, did we get you back? We lost you for a while. Maybe we still did. Okay, well, April, would you like to tell us about the, the conference coming up in, in Portland? It sounds pretty exciting, and it's coming up pretty soon. Yeah, we're very excited about it. So Elizabeth and I, we co-founded the Northwest Narrative Medicine Collaborative, and she brought on board a fabulous team of of people, um, colleagues and people that she knows in her sphere um, that have just wonderful connections in the community and interests. And so we've created this really robust, well-rounded conference. And um, the details can be found on our website, which is www.nwnmcollaborative.org. Um, we have uh, a music performer on Friday evening. Uh, we are going to have uh, wonderful speakers. Our keynote is a physician and author. Her name is Louise Aronson, and she wrote a book called A History of the Present Illness. Um, we have a photojournalist from the Oregonian who's going to be speaking, and then another local artist who um, writes fiction and uh, wrote a book called Community Chest, which is about breast cancer, her experience with breast cancer. What a wow. cute name, Community Chest. Yes. <laughs> I, like <that>. I know. <laughs> <laughs> very clever. That's and very we good. have some wonderful breakout sessions where we'll be practicing writing together in small groups. Um, and then we're really excited about that Saturday evening. We're meeting over in the OMSI area for a Story Beat Live. So our participants um, have submitted poetry or maybe hip-hop or something they've written, and they'll be standing up on a little stage and reading their story or sharing their story, and we're hoping to have an open mic so that anybody who wants to share um, a story is is um, able to. It's kind of like a mini moth. And nice. then we've and partnered with the Portland Art Museum. Mm-hmm. And on Sunday morning, we have a wonderful offering of some workshops. One of them is graphic, um, graphic comics or graphic art. One of them has to do with theater, um, interactive theater. One of them is a, a guided docent tour through um, a display that has to do with Alzheimer's and dementia. Mm. Wow. And so um, just really well-rounded and just a lot to offer. And our audience is very, I'm sorry, did I interrupt you? (laughs) No, that was going to be my question about the audience, because I know a lot of people who might be really 
interested to do something like this, but scared to death of the idea of being on a stage and doing this publicly. So oh, what yeah. kind no of support? One, no, one has <laughs> to the, no one has to do the stage part unless they, okay. you know, that's just, it's sort of an evening where we'll be having dinner and um, a cash bar. It's kind of a, a networking time, but at the same okay. time, we've had participants who mm-hmm. want to um, submit a piece. To share okay. and those and, and liquid courage always helps too. So. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> now, for That's me, funny. I'm kind of fearless, so it wouldn't. I I don't get that, but you, know. <laughs> you don't need the liquid courage to no. get up in front of a large group. Yeah, in fact, I'm doing my first my first uh, stint at stand up comedy down in California. <laughs> it's oh, been wow. on my bucket list forever. Never done it, but I'm going to share some of my funny stories about breast cancer because there are some, but. Oh, but, you wow, know, it's, then you, it, should, you yeah. should sign up and come to Storybeat Live. <laughs> Could be fun. So um, we, are, are, we have about three minutes left, and it sounds like, Elizabeth, I think you're back with us. Are you there? I am back. I'm sorry about that. Not sure what happened. Yeah, <laughs> we're not. We just lost you, but April kept you going, so it was I'm sure a good job. Did. <laughs> so do you have anything else you can add to the conversation about the conference? Because it sounds fascinating. And you're in some yeah, great locations, just, too. I would just add that, um, that you know, it, it's really targeted for not only healthcare professionals, but also patients, caregivers, and, um, and, and really anybody who's interested in this. And that for, the, for most of the day, almost all of it, it will be, um, it will be in, you know, there will not be any, you know, out loud sharing type things. There will be small, um, small working groups and then listening to some really wonderful speakers. So okay. um, I would encourage anybody to, to come and check it out. Wonderful. Great. And, you know, we've got a couple minutes left. Um, so how can people learn more about this whole subject of, you know, if they want to learn more about narrative medicine, how do they talk to their doctor to get them to listen? You know, how, how do we do that? And where are some resources they can go to? Well, um, on the well, website, um, just, oh, oh, go, go ahead, ahead Elizabeth. Oh. <laughs> you guys are so polite. We're so polite. <laughs> Um, Dr. Lottie, why don't you take this one? <laughs> yes, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, so I say the first the first place I would direct people to go would be to the Northwest Narrative Medicine Collaborative website, which is just uh, www.nwnmcollaborative.org, and that you can find out more about our particular event. Um, but then also we have one um, section that has uh, reading resources. So different places that um, that people can go to find um, either short articles or longer books um, um, or just some some things that the committee members have really um, thought were were helpful um, resources to have. Um, so that would be that would be the first place that I would look. Okay. Well, we are sadly out of time. Um, this has been amazing. We will have this on our archives. This show will repeat tonight at 10 p.m. Pacific, and then it will be on our archives here in about an hour or so. So if anybody missed it, you know that'll, that will be available through our host page, and we'll be posting that on Facebook and all that. So we are really excited you guys took time out of your schedules to join us. And Dr. Lati, the one thing I did not ask real quickly, because I only have 30 seconds, what kind of uh, practice? Are you an, are you an oncologist? What what do you do? No, I am um, an internal medicine doctor who practices okay. in the hospital. So I'm called okay. a hospitalist. 
Okay, cool. Well, we are out of time, so we will be back next week. Until then, remember, there is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hannafin and Becky Olson again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.